Hey everybody, welcome back to Green Milk and Lean's Patreon channel. I am so honored to be uh, joined by a man I've been a super fan of my whole life, uh, Mr. J.M. DeMatteis. Hi, J.M., how are you? I am good. Happy to be here. Hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing well as well. It is uh, it is late, or excuse me, early April 2023. Salt Lake City is digging out from yet another massive snowstorm. I Seriously? Saw, wow. I saw a headline the other day that said, our local ski hill, which is the one just above me in the mountains uh, called Snowbird, has seen 783 inches of snow this winter, which is a record breaker. Wow. And in, in New York, we had such a mild winter. We had more snow in March than I think we had in the whole winter before that. Um, very strange. I'm even noticing the weather now. It's just like, and it's got to be climate change. It's just not consistent. So we're we're in April now, and it's and it's like starts to warm up. Then in the night, all of a sudden, it's the 20s again. And it's going to be cold for a few days, and then it's going to be in the 80s for three days, and then it's back. <laughs> then it's back to 60 again. So it's very strange. It's very weird here too. It's going to start flooding in no time. We're going to get whole areas of this valley that are just underwater for a while. But I think we're safe in my house. I hope. <laughs> I hope so too. Uh, Jam came on the show when we did uh, the interview about uh, his run on Defenders. Uh, and although at this time we haven't released this episode yet, we just did an extended episode about Craven the Hunter, where we talked a lot about your uh, your lengthy work with Craven, including your most recent series uh, about uh, about Gregor and uh, Oya Arisha and Craven's kind of mythology there. A really, really beautiful work. Uh, so I mean, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the last issue just just came out. Just came yeah. out a little while ago. Yep, we, uh, I, I write my stuff up a couple months in advance, so I had to go update it after, <laughs> after that series was finished because it really changed the, uh, the mythology of uh, some of the, the stories there. Uh, but we, we I spent a long time on Craven. So we're going to talk about uh, uh, a fan favorite, question mark, villain, at least of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I get. I was astonished that you wanted to talk about this character, but I'm in for it. Let's go. Uh, so we're going to talk about <laughs> Professor Power today. Professor Power is originally a Professor X Spider-Man villain and then becomes a beast villain and then goes on to fight the Defenders and then goes on to fight uh, X-Factor <laughs> and then he comes back and fights uh, Nomad and the Young Allies later on. I think in one Oh, yeah, really? I'll say that. I only know the stories that I did. I have no idea whatever happens to him after that. Most of this man's chronology is created by JM and he's only been used a couple times. Uh, I think Sean McKeever used him for a little while about 15 years ago. But other than that, he's he's mostly got your name stamped on him. I remember when we talked about him on the Defenders episode, you were like, I kept trying to make him happen. <laughs> right. And it just never happened. And that's OK. You know, not everything's going to hit. Uh, the And I'm going to be slightly liberally biased. Uh, when we're reading this character from a 2015 perspective, recognizing he was created in the early 1980s, which was a very different political landscape. But he seems very Tucker Carlson to me. He's, he has like a, like a, he's, he's a guy that would be on Fox News all the time, ranting about all the things in the world that were not fair to him is kind of the energy I get, but I'm certainly not meaning to disparage any of my Republican listeners. <laughs> no, but you know, but you know what it is though. I don't know if he's Fox News. He's more like a George Bush, Dick Cheney era, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? More of that more traditional right wing Republican kind of thing. 
because now uh, I don't think I don't think even he's as extreme as what we've got now. You know, um, <laughs> he's very uh, he's very white billionaire uh, privilege and power kind of character. Yes. Yes. Uh, let me give a little of his backstory, which is kind of stacked up over time. Yeah, please I, remind I, me. <laughs> and then I'd like to talk to you about his creation. He, okay. uh, he shows up in uh, Marvel Team Up uh, 117 and 118. He's in Defenders. He's in Spectacular Spider-Man. I profiled this character on the Marvel Appendix. So anyone who wants to kind of read along with some of uh, some of his history, I have a very detailed history written up that I put together years ago on this guy because uh, he's just such a classic villain to me for my own upbringing. So his name is Anthony Power. He was a noted politician, historian, author, teacher, and presidential advisor. He had a son named Matthew uh, that he had a very tight bond with, uh, a wife named Sharon. And Sharon often accused Anthony of neglecting Matthew and putting his career first. Uh, he was constantly putting pressure on Matthew to be a particular type of child. Uh, Matthew ended up in Vietnam, which, of course, according to the sliding time scale in Marvel, we would call that the Viet Cong crisis now. Or not Viet Cong. Uh, uh, oh, goodness. I just lost the name. Oh, uh, they have, they've, they've, created an, they've created an alternate name for it? Marvel created a few years ago what they call the Sian Cong conflict. It's a, it's a made-up country, and it's kind of a way for all of the characters who have Vietnam origins to still be able to be alive and present. Oh, that's it. interesting. Oh, that's so really have, interesting. You can have all the Punisher, Nam continuity, but he can still be a modern character because the time's always sliding. <laughs> Very interesting. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Matthew ended up in Vietnam, and he came back brain-dead. And Anthony, as a result, began to lose faith in the system because of what had happened to his son. So he stopped teaching, he quit politics, and he started making plans that would unite the world the way the Romans had, under one common mind. And let me read a quote right from the Marvel Handbook here, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for a minute, Jay. And this okay. is the way he summarized here. <laughs> when the most skilled medical talent in the world failed to effect a cure for Matthew, Professor Power began to change his views of himself and his country. Losing faith in the American system, Professor Power became convinced that American universities were instilling apathy and cowardice in their students, and that the United States leaders were so terrified of worldwide nuclear war, they were de deliberately dragging America down in what he believed to be meaningless conflicts like the Vietnam War. Taking his models, Alexander the Great and the Roman emperors, who dominated virtually the entire Western world of their times, Professor Power decided that worldwide peace could only be achieved if one mind, one power, controlled the entire earth. Power believed that America must uh, move against what he saw as the enemies of democracy and to annihilate all threats to freedom. Determined to be that one mind that dominated the entire world, Professor Power dedicated himself to this challenge. Receiving almost unlimited funding from supporters, the already wealthy Power began organizing his underground movement of so-called ultra-patriots. So this is where I get like a very MAGA energy from this guy. <laughs> uh, let's pause there. This is kind of the origins we learn later. But tell me about the creation of this particular character, what you can recall. Good God. You know, it's a long time ago. And because we we're going to be talking, I started thinking about it. And I realized, which I had completely forgotten, started as a gag. Because years ago, before I ever worked in comics, uh, you know, the way I used to exercise my writing muscles, I used to write short stories. Uh, when I was like a teenager and, and a young adult, more more like, you know, like from like 19 into my early 20s. Um, and I, I had a story uh, and it was it was it was uh, it was a comic book related story about a guy who was a collector who, if I'm remembering correctly, stole this prized, expensive comic book, murdered a guy to get it 
And very Twilight Zone is what happens at the end as he finds himself inside the comic book, right? So within the comic book, within the story, uh, I had to create a hero and a villain. So I created a character called the Fabulous Frogman, who I later brought into Marvel Comics years later. Oh my God, I'm gonna and, have to talk about Frogman sometime. <laughs> and 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 then for the villain, I just came up with Professor Power. It was sort of like a a Doctor Doomy name. You know what I mean? I don't remember what Professor Power was in this short story. But the name stuck with me. It felt like I just sort of a classic comic book villain name. So then when I'm doing team up and coming up with this story, that that's where, you know, that's where the uh, the name came from. And then I attached this biography, which uh, sounds so new to me because it's been so long. Uh, you know, I, I, I used that name and attached it to this character. Uh, you brought him into a number of different stories, and you had a yes. habit of doing that. You would create villains and then bring them back in other books. You when I, I was, I was working on, and especially, I, I was working on a bunch of different books, you know, in those days. And I did. I like to interpollinate the books with the characters, so that the defenders would show up in Captain America, who would show up in Marvel Team Up, and you know, they would all sort of interpollinate. White Rabbit and Frogman, yes, two of the classic. Examples. Yes, uh, exactly. Who are some of your favorite creations? Some of the the villains you uh, remember most fondly. Oh, God, you know, I, I honestly don't remember. You'd have, if you brought it up, I'd go, "Oh yeah, what about blah blah blah." But I, you know, <laughs> off the top of my head, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, I'm very fond of the of the White Rabbit because she's so ridiculous. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I actually did a White Rabbit action figure a couple of years ago that I have yes. sitting on a shelf over there, right next to my Frogman action figure. We did one of these episodes all about White Rabbit. Sarah oh, seriously? Oh, that's it's funny. Out, it's out on the main channel. It's 90 minutes of us just loving on White Rabbit. Uh, that's Peter amazing. The story of her a few years ago that I read to my children, and we like cackled laughing the whole way through it. It's great. You know, anyone who shoots exploding carrots out of an umbrella, you know, you got to love, right? <laughs> She's uh she's absolutely ridiculous. So there was a number of subplots going on in the Defenders, Captain America. There was like a group of psychics, and there's a guy named August Masters, and we're gonna skirt over a lot of this. Now, story. was that before the Marvel team up story with the Beast or after? Yes, yes. Uh, it actually okay. didn't even start with the Beast. Your initial story with Professor Power was Marvel Team Up 117, which is right. Wolverine. Right. And Spider-Man right. and Professor X getting involved. Uh, do you have right. any recollections of this story? No. <laughs> I really don't. All I remember is Wolverine was never a character I was very comfortable with. So I remember my discomfort. That's all. <laughs> so Professor Power has established this giant base. He's obsessed with Roman soldiers and he ultimately right. has this goal of creating kind of a new host body for his son, unless he can cure his son. And he ends up spy fighting Spider-Man and Wolverine because they come across his uh, his like Roman soldier robots. Now, and, had, had he created, had he taken over the quote secret empire at this point? Yeah, yeah. He like brought okay. in all these contacts from the FBI, CIA, and then he was in charge of the secret empire. And he had this plot of like, telepaths that were going to take over other governments and cause war. There's like a whole bunch of different uh, subplots okay. that were introduced around this. Oh, story. so he was part of that Defenders two-parter that, mm -hmm. that you're talking about. I remember that two-parter. I do not remember him being in it. That's so funny. <laughs> I, think he was, I think he was behind the scenes in that one. I think it was I see. Like, okay. this is the guy okay. that behind this. Uh, so then we get Marvel Team Up 118, which is kind of the big thing. He's already fought Wolverine, but Power is luring Professor X into a trap. 
And he's, right. using, he's using Mentalo and Fixer, but he knows Professor X is a telepath and he shows Xavier the comatose body of his son, Matthew, and basically says, I want you to wake my kid up. But Xavier, either because he couldn't or because he pretended he couldn't, <laughs> you're not quite sure what his motivations are. After a big fight, Xavier basically says, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And Professor X, or excuse me, Professor Power is now like, a life a lifelong foe of Xavier. Right. My memory is that that he that, that he he really felt that it was too delicate a thing to try to do that he would have done more harm than good had he tried to bring his consciousness back out. That's what he said. I'm always looking for subtext with Xavier. Part of me is like he's <laughs> like yeah dude no you're not you're not getting this. Fuck you. <laughs> well, your interpretation is as valid as mine, so go for it. <laughs> This idea of a father doing anything to protect his son uh, gives kind of a human element to yeah. Professor Power, who's this like world conquering villain type. Uh, I love how you make your villains human. You make them, you give them a core motivation that always drives them. Uh, right. You know, you know, it's so funny as writers, you know, we have themes that we return to again and again, and we don't realize at first what they are. And then you look back on a body of work and you go, it's a lot of stories about fathers and sons here. What am I working out? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but that that was the element, as as I recall, that I really, because you're always looking for the psychological, emotional element, because without that, you know, it's just a lot of running around and punching and hitting. Um, and that's what really, what I, what I hooked into with Power and with his son, and which I especially remember in that Beast story in Marvel Team Up, because it was all about parents and children. So Xavier's attempt to cure Matthew didn't not just work. It ended up driving Matthew crazy in his coma. So now he's not eligible to have his mind cured, basically. So Professor Power has a legitimate reason to hate Charles Xavier. So right? wait, so did it wait? So did Xavier actually attempt to do it then? Or? Xavier attempted it, but there was a big battle with Mentalo and Fixer, and Spider-Man was involved. And right, that sounds familiar. You kind of get the idea it was Professor Power's own fault, like. Xavier got distracted and then things went bad, but it, right. it's, it's up to interpretation. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Uh, then we have Marvel Team Up 124. And one of my all-time nostalgic favorite Marvel characters is Vera Cantor, who is the girlfriend of the very incorrigible Beast. Uh, this is one of the few appearances of Beast's parents uh, early on. We don't really see them from uh, the 60s on until we come to your story. Yeah, I think maybe we, even back in the 60s, they were in a few backup stories when they used to do those X-Men origin backup stories. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, uh, I, I've done, I, I'm getting ready to record an episode on Beast's family, which will be fun. We're uh, we're hitting the obscure spaces in the X-Men universe in this show. But uh, but uh, Beast is now meeting his mom and dad for the first time kind of since turning blue and furry. And he's hopping all over the place and he's going crazy. And Professor Power wants uh, revenge on Charles Xavier. So he comes after Beast. And of course, Spider-Man is there. Uh, what are your recollections of this? Story? Well, Spider-Man has to be there. It's Marvel team. Up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that story out of all the Professor Power stories, that's sort of one that jumps out at me because that really had a great grounding in emotional and psychological stuff. He really got into Beast's relationships with his parents. And wasn't it, I think it was his mother really, who just could not deal with what he had become. You know, it's bad enough that your son's a mutant. Now he's this blue, furry, demonic looking thing. You know, she really uh, had a hard time with that. So you have, and that was, I think that was the story where power welded his mind into his son's body. 
Yeah, so there's a there's a, a long-term obsession with him wanting to take over Matthew's body. So uh, uh, Power came up with a plan to like switch minds with this kid and he hates Xavier. Uh, so he, he like moves his castle uh, into the Virginia Smoky Mountains, if I'm remembering. Right. Uh, and he prepared which someone someone sent me a letter i remember saying there are no virginia smokies <laughs> so i think i screwed that one up uh, anyway so, go ahead so he, put, he put a device i think it was called the alpha converter in his son's mind so that they could swap forms and then power will now have like superpowers as well uh so the the father inheriting the body of the son right uh, right which more is more more dysfunction more dysfunction of fathers and sons yeah uh, and then this, he's beating the shit out of Beast, basically. And Edna McCoy runs out and is like, please don't hurt my kid. And Power's like so touched, he agrees to let Beast live. Uh, right, which right. is kind of the ultimate of that story. This one, I'm guessing, was pretty well received by people. It's a pretty human side of Beast when you see this origin of where he came from and the yeah. softness of his parents. And again, you know, those are the kind of stories that I of mine that I have the most affection for, which are the ones that really have some meat to them that matter. Uh, you know, a book like Marvel Team-Up, it took me a while to figure that book out. How do you make these stories? You know, you're never going to do something with Spider-Man in Marvel Team-Up that's going to impact the Spider-Man world in a big way, sure. right? Or with any of the characters, because they're guest stars. And 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 so what I finally figured out after like six months of writing the book was just make those individual stories really matter. They don't have to affect the wider Marvel universe to matter. They can have emotional heft. They can touch you. They can make you think. And, and that's when I, I finally clicked with that book. And this story is a good example of that. So for X-Men fans, one of the interesting things about this, just like you can't do big things outside the Spider-Man book, you often can't do big things outside the X-Men book as well. But this is a firmly established X-Men villain at this point. He has fought uh, Wolverine. He has fought Professor X. He has now fought the Beast. And his next stint of adventures, this is where we get the Secret Empire stuff really fleshed out, is when he is uh, taking over the Secret Empire and battling the new Defenders, which has Beast, Angel, and Iceman as part of the team. But he's also employing the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants uh, that Magneto had, right. who are now the mutant force, the, the peeper, burner, lifter, slither, shocker guys. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So weirdly. Uh, he also has this big, tall, dumb guy named Gargantua who says things like smash and crash and crunch and munch. And he's wearing a right, head, right. like a yellow uh, unitard. Yeah. A... I remember him well, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> he was also meant to be sort of a, a, a lighthearted uh, villain because he was just sort of yum, yum, eat him up. That's, right. That's what yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. P5 Pope kind of energy. About yeah, him. exactly. Fun. Uh, but basically in this, in this arc, he's seeking to kind of take over the world again. He's recruiting all of these like big names and religion, espionage, military, business. And he comes up with something called Project Sublimate, which will bring a bunch of satellites into orbit and then send out mind control messages because he wants to drive the world to war. So again, it's this idea of manipulating other people to get his goals. He's as he manipulates his own son. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes. that's his that's his MO. Well, as he lives in his own son's body. <laughs> yes, exactly. Talk about forcing forcing your own legacy on your kids, right? <laughs> in a very unhealthy way. In a very unhealthy way. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, what made you decide to bring this guy in as the big bad guy in Defenders at this time? Do you recall? I think it's just the same thing we were talking about. I liked to use characters that were mine that I could play with, and I'd like to interpollinate them between my books. So it was... Uh, 
you know, I'd used him in Marvel team up with three times at that point in that defenders crossover. And so uh, it just felt like uh, the right character at the right time. And again, it was probably me saying, I'm, I got to make this guy happen. He's, he can be a, he can be a substantial, important villain. And I think he could have been, but it just never, it never quite clicked in a bigger way. So uh, you also bring in uh, not only the mutant force guys, but you also bring in Mad Dog, who is the ex-husband of Patsy Walker. And right. in, uh, I think it's Defenders 125, Mad Dog and the mutant force attack the wedding of Patsy to the son of Satan, which is just a classic, of course, uh, you know, the supervillain attacks the superhero. Wedding. Right, right. And Going all the way back to the Fantastic Four. Yeah, uh, it's pretty great. Uh, do you have any memories of that issue? Uh, that might have been, was that... Was that the beginning of the new Defenders, that issue? Uh, I don't remember exactly when the title started. Yeah, I'm trying to, that might have been when we made that transition from Defenders to new Defenders, you know? Um, Again, I I only remember certain things. And again, I remember the emotional hooks and I liked liked the relationship between Patsy and the ex-husband. You know, you take these characters, these larger than life characters, with these heightened emotions and you get to deal with a real issue you just make it you, you just boost the emotion you know you boost it and you make you bring the melodrama to the fore but it allows you to address divorce say and that's what that was about two people who've been divorced who loved each other but kind of hate each other and how do you deal with that so a mad dog and, and patsy was an interesting way to deal with that that's my main memory of that and i also love the hellstrom patsy relationship which i developed over the course of like three years in that book uh, I did a I did an episode with Daryl Lawrence uh, on his show about Hellstrom. We were talking about how he was part of every gay man's like sexual awakening in that era. Really, <laughs> but he's uh, he's a shirtless, very uh, attractive man in red tights. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't see a lot of shirtless characters. That was uh, that was his costume. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, he did have the pentagon, pentagon, not the pentagon, the pentagram painted on his chest. Yeah, Professor Powers got the pentagon. <laughs> right, that's right. We go. Pentagon versus Pentagram. There's the story for you. The way he ends up fighting the heroes directly at the end of your Defender's story, and he's ranting about being power incarnate. Uh, and the way they end up defeating him is Moondragon goes into his mind and then brings Matthew's mind back up to the surface. And so yeah. now there's now there's the father and the son occupying the same body, and Professor Power is driven mad. Which is a which is a fitting return for this character. He's like kind of suffering his first really big personal defeat. I mean, losing right. losing the hope for his kid and having his villainous plots, uh, but now he's driven mad. He's uh, it's like a very Batman villain ending for this right. Character. And and by essentially by the the son that he has really abused, you know, yeah. so terribly. I mean, he, taken over his body, taken over his consciousness. I only know it's so funny. You talk about these things years later and it really is. It's a, it's the perfect metaphor for the, he's the ultimate overbearing parent who says, you know, I was a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. I was this, you're going to be that, you know? And he's, he literally to the point where he literally becomes the son in order to make him do what he wants him to do. I think every parent uh, has the relationship with their child of here's what I expect of you. But uh, speaking, putting my therapy hat on for a moment, when I'm working with clients who have a lot of wealth, in those situations, particularly kind of the upper class, there's this idea that you will uphold the family legacy. Uh, I can move mountains to take care of you, even if it means, uh, you know, stepping on all these other people. Um, this idea of I'm going to give you the easy life, but I have these expectations for you in return. That seems to be a, a really big part of this character's motivations because he's a world dominator, but he's also a yeah. dad who's very disappointed that his son landed in a coma. <laughs> right. Right. 
And, right. and Matthew never has much of a voice. Uh, it's always no. Professor, Professor Power's expectations of Matthew. That no, are we never really see Matthew, as I recall, because when we first body on he's, the table. he's already in a coma when we first see him, yeah, or whatever state he was in at the time. Um, he's gone for a while, Professor Power, after his defeat, after he's driven mad. We see him in 1988 in Captain America 338 by Mark Grenwald. Uh, this is when the new Captain America story, Captain America's kind of uh, been ousted and John Walker, the future U.S. agent, is coming in. Uh, he's got the character Bucky, which is a racist name they reveal later, but the black uh, Lamar Hoskins, who later becomes Battlestar, and they're both super strong and he is going mad and they, uh, I don't know, Professor Power's back in his, like, base of power. The mandroids are there. The Leviathan Did they explain how he got his sanity back? He's he's still insane here. Scientists oh, okay. are working to restore his mind. And this I is see. basically an issue where Captain America or John Walker is unhinged. He's, like, using very harsh methods. It's a, it's a really interesting story by Mark Grenwald, this era of Cap, where they're exploring what if Captain America was not a good guy, basically. Right. Sanctioned right. someone. And at the end of this issue, he basically, it seems like he has beat Professor Power to death, despite the fact that Professor Power is kind of a mental patient. Uh, and of course, he survived. But uh, but it's a pretty rough issue. I, I kind of assume you've never read that particular story. I don't know. I wasn't even aware of that story. Any thoughts on that summary or what happened to this character? No. you know, uh, uh, Mark, Mark was a buddy and he was a wonderful writer. I'm sure he did a great job with that. Yeah. Mark is my number one Marvel hero. If I had to choose just one, I think he, uh, I mean, I'm the handbook guy, right? Like I, I think what he Well, if you would have met him, he'd be even more of a hero because he really was a great guy. And, you know, it's still looking back all these years later, what a tragic thing. He was, I think, 42 when he died, something yeah. insane like that. Do you, it's awful. Do you remember getting the news back then about that? Oh, I absolutely do. It's, it's, it's seared into my mind. You know, another writer friend called me um, one morning and it was just like, it's, it's one of those things that you just can't process. He was a contemporary, you know, we were basically the same age. We, you know, came up in the business around the same time. We were friends. You know, he wasn't just an editor to me. He was a friend, you know? And so that was, that was just an awful thing. Just an awful, awful thing. Uh, the next time we see Power, he's in a series of annuals in the summer of 1992 from Dark Hawk, West Coast, Avengers West Coast and Iron Man. His mind has been transferred back into his own body. And he is... Wow, I have no idea this story happened. That's amazing. <laughs> Tell me all about it. He is uh, He's purchasing super-powered armor, iron monger, mandroids, the mech men, and he's selling them for profit. He's trying to rebuild his empire, basically. <laughs> and the heroes fight him, and then his base blows up. And they're like, oh, well, I guess he's dead. That's basically the whole story. But it's stretched out over three annuals. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Well, and now, you know, these days it might go for 12 issues. Who knows, you know? Or one and, page. Or, right. <laughs> um, and then you you pick him up the next time. It's 1993. It's your run on Spectacular Spider-Man. And yes. that's when you bring power back. After his quote-unquote death, it seems like this guy has some sort of device that has allowed him to survive astrally. And his like mind floats around and then ends up back. They exhume Matthew's body from the ground and he takes over Matthew's body again. Do you remember setting this story up? You know, I'll, I, I thought my memory is that his body just somehow rejected. I remember him being in a grave and bursting out. I don't I don't remember anything about his consciousness floating around. Was that in my story? 
Yeah, they returned his mind to his son's body, and that's when he bursts out of the ground. Oh, I'll have to pull that off the shelf and look at that. I don't remember that. All I remember is the image, the great Sal image of him bursting out of the grave, you know? Yeah, and then the, the X-Men are there again. You brought the X-Men back. The uh, the original... I have a great fondness for the original X-Men. What is that? Great. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know, I think it's because when I was in junior high getting into Marvel for the first time, X-Men, those early X-Men from the Lee and Kirby to the Roy Thomas, Werner Roth era, I, I you know, I, I, I think I picked it up in the, in the in the Roy Thomas era and then went back. The first back issue of a comic I ever bought was X-Men number one, which cost me $3, which was a lot of money in junior high school. Um, and so I, I just have this great affection for those characters in that era. Even, you know, you know, you look back, especially to the early Lee Kirby stuff, but it's not Lee Kirby necessarily at the top of their game, you know, but I but I just have a great affection for all of all of that all of that stuff. So whenever I had a chance to, you know, that's why I brought those X-Men characters into the Defenders. I brought in, I had Beast, Iceman, and Angel in the Defenders because of my affection for those characters. And then in this story, it was another chance to, to revisit them. You know, the, the X-Men world that came afterward, as brilliant as it was, what Claremont did was just amazing. It was so big and so complex, my brain could never quite contain it, you know? The early X-Men was easy to understand, and contain, and here are the here's this group of characters, and this is who they are, and so I, you know, and because again, I read them at the beginning of my my uh, my Marvel fixation, uh, they they those characters always stayed with me. Uh, speaking as the guy who has built a podcast show around the original X Men, I've done two or three hours on each of their each of their original appearances and interviews and in depth exploration. For me, it's nostalgia. It just goes back to. And the way I've compared it on my show a few times, like if you love the modern Star Trek movies and then you go dig out the original series from the 60s, there's just something so special about going back to the beginning and yes. where everything came from. Exactly. Uh, in this story, you have uh, the X-Men fighting Professor Power. He's got a flying castle. And his plan here is basically to beat the X-Men to death in front of Xavier. Like he's just fucking pissed. Uh, in the end of the story, Jean Grey and Spider-Man get involved, and Grey makes Power 
like mentally faced the guilt of having sent his son to war in the first place, which of course caused his injury. And then like power falls into a coma. Like it's uh it's kind of a fitting again, uh just so we've come full circle. Of, yeah. 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 He keeps landing in these places where he's either beat to death, exploded, or has to face the guilt over his child. <laughs> Well, also, since the sun started in a coma, if he ends up in a coma, it's sort of uh, just just desserts, isn't it? You know, the only thing I really remember from that story was 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 a gag when the, when the castle is kind of crashing down, crashing down, crashing down, and they can't figure out Beast and Spider Man can't figure out which button to push to hit the brakes, you know. And it was like a, I, I have to say I stole it right out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know. I was going to say that reminds me of Bugs Bunny in the play. It's exactly where I stole it from. And then they hit the button, and it goes like three inches on the ground, and it just stops. You know? <laughs> There's that like there's like like two minute like intense sequence of Bugs Bunny and is it Yosemite Sam like running around the plane like ah and then right, they, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it just stops and it just stops yeah I <laughs> freely then, admit I I stole that from Bugs I made my children over the course of about a year and a half in the pandemic watch like three old Looney Tune cartoons with me every morning I'm like you're gonna you're gonna live through my childhood with me and at first they hated it but they they grew to love it Roadrunner is their favorite uh, really oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's I, just so funny. Wiley Coyote, like, and his constant mishaps, it just is hilarious every time. But, you know, the Bugs Bunny stuff is just really, really smart and really funny and works on a lot of different levels. You know, the, the, the Roadrunner stuff is is almost like the old silent movies. It's just all sight gags and, you know, a constant, you know, chase, bang, chase, bang, you know. Three Stooges energy about Yeah, that. exactly, exactly. Whereas the Bugs stuff, you know, works on a lot of different levels. I mean... You know, Bugs Bunny and, and and Elmer Fudd doing opera. It doesn't get better than that, right? There's been a lot of Bugs Bunny tractioning uh, in memes lately because there's all the anti-drag queen bills going on. And everybody's- Oh, right. Like, and there's, Bugs is constantly in drag. It didn't constantly. hurt you when Bugs Bunny was in drag. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and not to mention, you know, half the comedians that ever lived- you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> what about, so we're going to ban Monty Python now? Because every episode featured uh, 10 guys dressed up as women. Or, or, or Medea or Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. The thing when, you know, we don't need to veer too far into this, but the, with all that's going on in the world, talk about deflection. Let's not deal with the serious issues that we're faced with. Let's make up an issue and pretend that it's important. So what if the planet's going to hell in a handbasket because of climate change? The real issue is men in drag. Yep. I mean, what the, you know. But my mom, who's a very conservative, religious, lovely person, we just got off the phone having a tense but respectful conversation about this. And, uh, you know, it's this, I think this is something, we can take this back to Professor Power. You create something to get people united over. Let's all be distracted exactly. about this together. And then give me all your money and I will fight that. But really, I'm going to use your money mm -hmm. to build flying castles and robot Roman soldier armies so that I can conquer the world with right. telepathic satellites. Exactly. <laughs> How many of these people that, that are ginning up this issue truly in their heart of hearts give a damn about it at all? They don't. It's convenient. It's a convenient hook to hang it on. Yeah, while we ignore gun violence and yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, people point. It's like we have to stop this and we have to stop that. We have to stop this. Can we stop guns? No, 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 no. We can't stop that. That's impossible. Yeah, but we'll stop drag queens. Damn it, you know. It's exhausting again, and and I know we're in the weeds here. I, I was just talking to my mom. I feel like we have 
a political landscape now where if you are part of the conservative Republican Party, you can't get elected unless you sign some sort of contract with the NRA and agree to fight because they have so much influence. You can't get elected unless. And so all, yeah. these, all these decent people are not running for election. And instead, they're going into the fringe spaces and pulling in the crazies because those are the ones that will sign true. the contract. It's true. And 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 then there, I'm sure there are some people that aren't fringe crazies but have to play the part of the fringe crazy in order to get anything done. I mean, you know, even go back to the Republican Party of George Bush and Dick Cheney, you know, for me politically, not my favorite thing, but- Nor I. But they wouldn't stand a chance in this Republican Party. It's not really the Republican Party anymore. It's this weird fringe party. I would love to see, I say this to my wife all the time, you know, if you want to be a conservative, go for it. I, I, God bless you. And you're allowed to have that point of view. And we have to have a dialogue, go back and forth. And, you know, this, this, the, the, the left pulls this way, the right pulls this way. Maybe we find a middle ground, but it's gone so beyond that. I would love to see sane, intelligent, compassionate conservatives who believe in, you know, small government and all the things that conservatives traditionally believe in. Fine, go out there and be that. That's okay with me, but that's not what it is anymore. It's just crazy town. Yeah, a regular part of my life, I live in Utah as a gay man with children. And, you know, I don't care that much if people are anti-gay. If you are LDS, which is the big religion locally, you don't need to let me get married in your churches, but also mm -hmm. don't legislate against my right to marry and take care right. of your family. Like, right. let, I'll let you believe and you let me live. It's the legislation of, if you don't want to take your kids to a drag show, don't go to a drag show. But don't say it's now illegal to take your kids to a drag show. That's a very right. different thing. Right, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Weirdly, weirdly, Professor Power falls into that space for me. <laughs> That's true. So we're, we're, we're still sort of on target there. Although I don't think Professor Power would not be welcomed in this current Republican Party. I'm telling you. No, well, and he came out of, and, and we'll get to his final appearances in a second. He came out of this kind of early 80s, uh, I don't know if Iran-Contra is the right space to take that, but like year of nuclear war, the Cold War is kind of extended into a space where we're now using politics as uh, weaponization in other countries. I mean, I suppose we did that all along. It's, you know, it started with Manifest Destiny, right? I mean, it's really, yeah. it's like, the I, you know, you, you learn about that in school as a kid, and then you grow up and you go, wait a minute, Manifest Destiny. These guys just showed up and said, it's our destiny to take over this country. And if you live here before... Too bad. You know what I mean? What a what a what an insane, appalling concept, you know? Well, and there's been a lot of exploration. And again, this is a different topic, but it's still on topic. There's been a lot of exploration of this in comics. There's uh, the story a few years back where Lex Luthor was elected president right. at, at DC or Marvel. Uh, the, the kingpin was elect, elected the mayor of New York City or Norman Osborn became the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a period of time. Uh, oh, I didn't know that one. Wow. Loki ran for president. Uh, there's, there's, They're exploring these stories about what it means. And I think Trump being elected, frankly, kind of unlocked the potential of some of those stories. Right. folded at a different right. level. Right. And again, power very much has that energy for me. It's the, I have a lot of money and I have a lot of power and I'm going to gather these things around me and do what I want. And it's also, you know, you have to look at it from the, quote, villain's point of view. It's coming from the belief, you know, we are the world's great democracy. Everyone else is doing it wrong. And the only way the world's going to get straightened out is if we do it, which has been, you know, that's been the mantra for a long time, you know, in this country. Make, and make so, America great again. That right, 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 right. Well, you know, make America great again, though, you know, when we get into that realm, again, that's just buzzwords. You yeah, know what it I takes mean? it to buzzwords. a bigger... 
<laughs> it, it, you know, it's just, uh, it's more, and I think, I think what, one of the things that really did that, if we can get serious for a minute, is World War II. Because in World War II, uh, I, I'm as anti-war as you, as you can possibly get. But, but the people fighting World War II felt, rightly so, they were fighting Hitler. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were fighting something that was really massive and evil. And um, and so I think the, the the mentality coming out of that is that whenever we step forth into the world, it's almost like a replay of World War II. We're always right. And whatever we're opposing is always wrong. And the American way is the way. When really, you know, it was just, I mean, I, I have, uh, uh, you know, they, they call that generation the greatest generation. Um I don't know if fighting a war and and by the grace of God you won, and I don't mean this in a negative way, makes anyone great. I have great compassion for the people of my father's generation yeah. uh, and my and my father-in-law's generation that fought in that war. You know, uh, luckily uh, my father was rejected, so he never fought. Uh, but you know, I know like you know, my wife had an uncle that he was over there and he he liberated a death camp and he never recovered from it. My, you know, that was not. My mother's first cousin was a prisoner of war in World War II. And I think when we're on that topic, uh, to take that, and again, this is a very Professor Power conversation still, World War II, if we look at the Nazi side, was a lot of really good people who might have been pretty conservative and had ways of believing that ended up electing people into power that then took the fringe areas of their conservative beliefs and magnified it. Because right before that, there was a queer awakening in, in Germany. There was people living very freely. There were laws towards yes. people living in, in safe spaces. And then suddenly they're being rounded up for concentration camps. It's the same thing with the Jewish population. They Absolutely. were they were part of the country. They were not outsiders. They were they were a part of the culture and the life of the country. Um, uh, I just finished watching uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, the film that was nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And it's basically about, uh, you know, rich generals calling commands and treating soldiers like fodder as millions of people are slaughtered in horrible useless ways. Oh, world war one yeah yeah i mean gain two feet of ground and again there's that there's that energy of uh my privilege allows me to do these things and this character represents that for me as weirdly as fond of him as i am in a superhero context he's kind of got that energy yeah and again i think it's it is that post-world war ii mentality of we saved the world we're right and we're going to keep saving the world and we're always right when we're clearly not because not because we're bad, but because we're human and it doesn't work that way. And, and that the world is more complex and other cultures are more complex. And, and yeah, uh, it's, uh, I guess Professor Power is deeper and more complex than I realized. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of layers to this guy, actually. My mom and I landed in this space. She, she again, is very religious and conservative. And I, um, I went back to the New Testament. I'm atheistic now, but I went back to the New Testament and what Christ taught about the people who were so caught up in their ways of believing that they were using it to persecute people who didn't believe their way. And the right. whole the whole point of the New Testament is Christ saying, no, 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 that's actually evil. That's actually not okay. We've got to focus on love. And it's all about compassion for everyone. And I think we're back Everyone. in the era where things are being weaponized in the name of Christianity, which yes. is the yeah. opposite of what it's supposed to be, to be. Right. And that thread has always been there also, but now it's just so magnified. So, yeah. mag so I, many things that, that were on the fringe are, have been <clears throat> mainstreamed in really terrifying ways.
And as a father with two children growing up in this insane post-pandemic world, I just, I don't know what to do except focus on today. I, yeah. I, I assume you have children. It's a I do. They're grown, you know, and um, I always say with your kids, the best thing you can do is really just love them and teach them kindness. You know, I mean, and I think that's a revolutionary act. It really, really is because then you send out, how many children do you have? I have two, two uh, 14 okay. and 11. Okay, so then you send out two little balls of kindness and compassion into the yeah. world. You know what I mean? And I think I've always said that the microcosm is the macrocosm and that the smallest act of kindness can ripple out and impact the wider world in ways that we don't even understand and can't even imagine. Uh, what beautiful words. Uh, and I love having this wonderful conversation with you. Thank you. Uh, it's weirdly healing in a way, and I'm having it with one of my heroes, which is amazing too. Uh, Professor Power's last story with you, to take it back on topic, 1994, you're writing X Factor. Oh, yes. It's X Factor manual number, annual number nine. And there have been villains who have used tech that can allow themselves to astrally project or exist as like an electronic consciousness for a time. Mm -hmm. The story opens with his mind has just kind of been floating around non-corporeal until he's able to attach so, to some cyber. And you say, let me ask you something. You said he was floating around in the Spider-Man story too, or is this yeah, a story? Yeah, this is not his first time. Oh, uh, okay. I got to look up that Spider-Man story because I don't remember that part at all. Okay. <laughs> so this one, this one I remember right. the, I remember the floating around. This one I do remember the floating around. And then he's able to get back to Matthew's body once again, and he has it upgraded. He gets super strength and weapons. And then he also can project his mind into robots at this time. And he's, Fighting X Factor, and then they okay. and he dies, <laughs> or not dies, <laughs> but he's defeated at the end. What uh, what was your reasoning for bringing him back in this story? I have no idea. I you know I, it's so hard. I mean you know that I remember anything at this point about this this character. I think it was just again this was my character. He had this history with the X Men. I was writing X Factor at the time. Let's bring him back. You know, um, but this time he's like big, thick, like muscle guy. With like well, you know why? The, because it was the 90s and everybody <laughs> drew that way. I don't think that was because I asked for it to look that way. I think because it was the 90s and that was all of a sudden everybody got like gigantic, you know, They're like 400 pounds and barrel chests. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, it's funny. You remember the, the weapons that I suddenly remember that in that spectacular Spider-Man story, my son, who was probably. 12 or something at the time uh he helped me design some of some of the new weapons for professor power so he got a thank you in that spectacular first spectacular spider-man issue when he was like 12 or 13 oh, that's and, great. and i got him that original art page and he still has it to this day yeah uh let me cover his modern history very quickly he's gone sure. for a decade in 2007 he's in an, an issue of punisher war journal he's a one guy in a bar with a bunch of villains and punisher blows it up and he looks, he's back to normal in that issue. He's that, like a regular person, you mean? He's not in I mean, the... He's, the in his, he's in his like 80s armor again. Oh, not okay. Like okay. Version, right? Right, because the, uh, the 90s are over. <laughs> and then he's used pretty prominently for a little while in 2009. And then again, uh, in well, so Nomad is a Nomad Girl Without a World is a Sean McKeever, David Baldion story in 2009. Professor Power has taken on the identity of a teacher named Dr. Powers at a high school and he's secretly using brainwashing technology on students. Uh, and he's also running the secret empire again, but he fights uh, the girl nomad is Ricky Barnes. That's She has a whole crazy history that has to do with Onslaught and the Heroes Reborn universe. And then they're, uh, they bring him back in a series of backup stories, Captain America 602, 605, where it picks that up. 
Uh, Professor Power is, again, with the Secret Empire. He mutates Mad Dog, and he fights Nomad and Aranya. Uh, and that's kind of it. We see him in one panel in uh, Modoc Head Games, where he's at a conference. So he's still out there in the Marvel Universe, waiting to be used. Uh, just wait till I bring him back again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what is the what is the perfect uh, MAGA <laughs> or like 2020s story for Professor Power? And we'll we'll wrap up with this. You know, it's interesting going by what we're talking about. It's interesting because he might see that the world has gone past him over an edge that even he didn't want to go over. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that might be the interesting story, you know, that him looking at what's happened to his right and going, wait a minute, because he still believes in America in a very pure way. His methods are insane, but his belief comes from a very noble place of democracy and equality and all this stuff through a warped filter. And then to see a world where the former president of the United States will welcome a, a neo-Nazi into Mar-a-Lago, say, you know what they I mean? Get arrested. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think he would flip out. I yeah. don't think he would like that. So that would be an interesting story. That white billionaire kind of energy, that privilege we're talking about. In the 80s, it was very much we are on top, very like Wolf right. on Street energy. Right. Where nowadays, it's very much like the minorities are rising up and trying to take what we deserve and I have to hold on to it, almost energy. I would love to write a story about this guy and I would need space to do it where he's back to normal and maybe he's got some influence and power, but... Matthew disagrees with his methodologies and fights, uh, arises up against him. And of course it would involve superheroes, but the idea of him having to question his legacy and see this son he pushed so hard uh, fight against what he stands for. I think that would be the fascinating story for me. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It'd be nice to have, give Matthew some dialogue, right? <laughs> instead of just laying there. Yeah. Instead of being in his coma. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the mutants can resurrect him. <laughs> It's comics. They can resurrect anybody. Uh, or he makes an interesting foil for Professor Power, who is now the world leader of the government of Krakoa, you know, which is a, which is a very different space. The mutants have a very different uh, space in modern continuity. They have their own nation. Uh, they can't you, die. They you can said, you, you meant Professor, do you mean Professor Xavier? Because that's you just said that's what I meant, yes. Professor yeah, Power yeah, okay. would be an interesting foil for Xavier, who's now a world leader. That would be an interesting story as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, all these characters have tremendous potential and I'll, I'll take it on me that I never got him to fulfill his potential. I think the potential is there. And like again, out of all of those, that beast story is my favorite out of the whole batch. Mm -hmm. I think it's the meatiest and, and the best story out of all of them. But there's I think there's tremendous. But just talking about the character, you know, but I, I believe that about just about any character there. There are no there. I'm not saying that power is a bad character, but there are no bad characters. You can take any character just about, and build them into something of value. And this is where my nerdy side comes in. You take that one story. I've done a Vera Cantor episode. I've done a Beast-focused episode. I'm getting ready to do one on the McCoys. And then I just did Professor Power. We hit that story from all four sides. That's great. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, it's great. Or other that, Either that or I'm very OCD and very nerdy. <laughs> that may be where it lands. Uh, JM, it's an absolute honor to spend time with you. Thank you for your valuable time today and for sharing your insights on a character you maybe not have thought about in a while, but he's got a lot No, of I have not thought about it in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> so this was interesting. It's um, always interesting to unearth things that I wasn't aware of in my own stories or my own characters, you know? Yeah. And that's my favorite thing about my show, not only building bonds with people, but 
analyzing the older stuff from a modern lens. I think we yeah. see insights that maybe weren't even intended, but we can find them there, which is fascinating. Uh, we're going to drop this episode on April 19th on the Patreon. It'll come out on the main channel next uh, summer. Is there anything you'd like to plug? I know you've got a lot of creator-owned ventures that you've been funding. How are things uh, going well, and what's coming yeah, up? So, okay, so we did, we did this massive Kickstarter back in November. Uh, we launched the, the Multiverse. We started with four. By the end, we slipped in a fifth. Five new books, five number ones. Uh, the Kickstarter, Kickstarter was a great success. The books, as we speak, they've become, come from the printer. They're being packed up and sent out to our supporters. And if anyone missed the Kickstarter, you can go to spellboundcomics.com and pick up any of the individual books or the, the collected edition with a beautiful Liam Sharp cover. Um, and so it's all there. Uh, it's it's five different books, five different genre, genres, five amazing art, five amazing artists. One of the one of the most exciting projects I've ever been involved in in my whole career. So that's plug number one. Uh, we mentioned uh, Spider Man: The Lost Hunt issue five just came out. Just came out what a couple of weeks ago I think. So that's out, and the collected edition I think will be out probably in June. So if you're a Spidey fan, a Craven fan, uh, it opens up a whole other layer and level to the Craven story and introduces this new character that I really, really like, um, uh, Asia Risha. So there's that one. I have a novella that came out uh, last year that's still available. You can get it on Amazon, either in print or in ebook, called The Excavator. It's a supernatural thriller, very piece of work I'm very, very proud of. I have another novella that should be out, I hope, by the summer or the fall. Uh, for the same publisher called Neotext. And then I'll probably start a third one for them after that. Um, let me see what else, what else, what else, what else. I'm working on a, uh, a couple of other things right now, uh, one of which I can't say what it is, but you will really like it. That's all I'll tell you. Oh my goodness, I'm very excited. <laughs> maybe when we maybe when we shut this off, I'll tell you about it. Um, I do confidentiality for a living. I've had I can't, creators tell me I, secrets, and I never say right, anything. <laughs> right, right. I, I can't. I can't talk about it uh, uh, publicly yet because it hasn't been announced. And and then there, so there's a couple of things happening over at Marvel, and and then we hope to continue these to multiverse books. One of the fun things with the Kickstarter is everyone's going to get their books. They're going to read these these titles, and then they they get to vote on which one they want to have continue. So once the votes come in and they pick that, then we'll do another Kickstarter and we'll finish the first miniseries. But the goal is to finish the miniseries with all these new titles. Um, so that's really fun. I think you are just a phenomenal creator. Can I tell you a quick crazy story really fast? Sure. It's sure. 2000, it's 2002. I am in my early twenties. I'm a closeted Mormon college student. And the way I ended up getting my job writing the Marvel handbooks, I started writing, do you know the show Survivor? Uh, where they go to the island and you vote each other off that whole thing? Uh -huh. Yes, yes, I, yes, yes. I did a Marvel supervillains Survivor and I would create character arcs for all of these established villains. And I'd post an episode every week and people would jump on and they'd get to vote on who was ousted. So I never knew who was going to win the show and I would I would build it. My uh, my second season of that, I ended up doing five before I started my handbook works. My second season featured the character Gargantua, the, the mash crash munch crunch guy. And I gave him a, a lot of backstory. When he was in his giant form, he was this childlike kind of Hulk person. But when he was in his uh, human scientist form, he was this very self-hating, awful. And he made it to the final four of my show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was, I gave him a lot of depth. And then and I eventually got my job at Marvel from doing that crazy work. So there's a, oh, there's a crazy J.M. DeMatteis tie-in. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
Uh, uh, talk about obscure characters. Holy moly. I, I like to pull in lots of crazy, unexpected people back then. Well, you know, as a writer, I've always enjoyed the obscure characters for the very reason that <clears throat> there's no baggage. When I was writing Defenders back in the day, I mean, I pulled in every B, B minus character I could because <clears throat> no other editor is going to come in and say, don't do that with Damon Hellstrom or Devil Slayer or, you know, whoever, because Night, Nighthawk's girlfriend can't commit suicide. And you're like, right. You know, it's like so <laughs> the same thing when, when Giffen and I did Justice League. I mean, we, we ended up being handed not the big players, but the B players. And sure. that's what made that book work. I love it. And that's why I like doing episodes like this, uh, hearing from creators and nerding out over people we don't often give a lot of thought to. Uh, uh, Gray Malkin Lane, you can find Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Next couple episodes coming out after this. Uh, the next one on this channel is a Claremont Extreme X-Men character named Lifeguard. I'm going to be reviewing that character with Jamie Faye. Uh, and then the next episode on the main channel, we're reviewing the Alan Davis Savage Hulk series from uh, just a few years ago, actually. Uh, with a professional group of drag queens who are also going to do a fashion review of all of the X-Men costumes from the 1960s. And I just recorded it, and it's wonderful. So wow. Give a listen for that. Seems uh, like the time is right for that episode. <laughs> uh, JM, where can people find you online if they'd like to? Uh, I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm technically on Hive Social, but I'm waiting for them to to do a, a desktop app before, because I, 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 it's just, I, I'm there, but I'm not interacting there yeah, yet. Yeah, I, I hate learning new apps. That one. I yeah, it's, it's, it's like just, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one too many, but you know, you want to have a safe space just in case Twitter finally just collapses in on itself, you know? Yeah. Twitter is my, Twitter is my main place. This week I'm on a social media vacation. I do it periodically where I just don't look at social media. I went on the other day just to wish my son a happy birthday and then got off again immediately, you know? <laughs> So I think after, a lot about our society. If we have to log into social media to wish our children. Happy well, no, I did speak to him also, but I mean, I always like to publicly celebrate him. I, I love and adore my kids. And I like when their birthdays come, I'll go on every platform that I'm on and publicly celebrate them and tell them how much they mean to me, you know? Um, but, uh, but I, I literally went on, posted this thing and got off. Cause I, I'm not, I'm also on a news fast this week. So whatever's going on with Trump, I don't know about it, you know? Uh, and, and it's great. It's really, uh, before we go, it's, I think it's really important for all of us, for our sanity, to take a step back sometimes and just dump all that stuff. Get off social media. Don't watch the news. The world will continue without you. I mean, we, <laughs> we can end here. The big news that's in the news today, uh, three after the Nashville shootings, three Democratic senators in Tennessee went to an anti-gun protest. And the Republican lobby in Tennessee uh, pulled those three senators or, or, or politicians up for censure and they kicked the two black people out of office but kept the white one. That's the thing that's on fire all over the news today. It's exhausting. <laughs> and that's why you need a news fast. You need uh -huh. to, it's, it's toxic. After a certain point, it's toxic. You'll come back, the news will still be there. And, and uh, but it's really important, I think, to settle our souls and settle our minds to step away from this stuff periodically. Absolutely. Uh, JM, what an absolute joy. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. you. Uh, we'll see you all back here next time on uh, Green Malkin Lane's Patreon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit
credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.